The ACN podcast is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners and sponsors, including the Agile Alliance. As a nonprofit membership organization, the Agile Alliance is an excellent resource to help you along your Agile journey. To learn more about the Agile Alliance and our other sponsors, as well as how you can become a sponsor or supporter of our show, please visit acnpodcast.org for more information. And thank you for your support. Good morning and good evening, everyone. This is the Agile Coaching Network. Welcome. The Agile Coaching Network, if you're unaware of us, we are brought to you by the Agile Alliance. The Agile Alliance is a nonprofit organization that's been in existence since the signing of the manifesto. Think about Agile in the context of why does Agile exist? Well, partially because the people who originally formed up around the word Agile and formed up the Agile Manifesto and and its principles, they formed up the Agile Alliance. They were some of them were founding members of that. And then that grew into right now, we have over 11,000 members, roughly uh, people who associate directly with us by either subscribing or being a part of our, our, our little uh, forums that we do, um, all of our events, I think it totals up to with subscribers and members, well over 90,000 people uh, who've decided to go talk about Agile and learn Agile up. I'm very proud of this organization and your membership is directly proportional to our abilities to do things like webinars and other things that we go off and do. So please go to agilealliance.org, become a member. It's only $49 US dollars in order to join. And those dollars help help directly fund things like the Agile Coaching Network and all of the initiative work and other things that we do in the community. We are joined by a group of regulars on the ACN. And today we have uh, Shana, Diana, and also Jorg are with us. Hendrik and Linda, they are currently out uh, this week. We miss them, but we wish them well, and hopefully they're doing something fun, especially with the temperatures at least warming up in the upper hemispheres of the uh, world here. One challenge for us here in Portland, Oregon, where I live, we're actually going to get somewhere around 111 degrees, which... (laughs) I'm sorry, for for people who live in Portland, we don't get hundreds and 111s that often. So we're all going to just melt. So I was engaged in a a set of conversations talking about where Agile is in its 20 year history. And now that we've been doing Agile for 20 years, the question came up is, are we being too overly homogeneous Um, for, for those of you understand that word, meaning that we've somewhat started to converge and everything is starting to kind of look the same. I mean, from Agile at its birth to now, have we just cookie-cuttered Agile to the point where all Scrum Masters act and behave the same way, all Agile coaches act and behave the same way, and maybe we all are being taught from the exact same library of stuff. We all have the same certifications. We have all of the same, or I shouldn't say certifications, I should say certificates. There's a difference between certification and, and certification. But anyway, I digress. That's not the subject. But, um, you know, are we just, you know, becoming just too blended of a set of coaches? Are we not getting the fringe uh, methods that are coming in? 
the reason why I'm looking at is that in the very beginning, uh, you know, when Agile was first born, its birth, its growth, its and going through maturity, and then eventually to a decline, as all things do. I'm not sure how many people today are doing CMMI any longer, or doing TPI, or other assessments that was you know big in the 1990s or 80s. Or have they suddenly gone off into irrelevance or, or re-emergence, uh, depending on where they're at in their in their cycle? But the reason why I throw this out is is to talk about when when we get to convergence and we look at mature marketplaces, we tend to go through that commodity commodity. That's easy for me to say commodity type of view of the world, which is an agile coach can be picked up off the street and they're all acting and behaving in the same way. There's there's no kind of, you know, someone I'd point to to say that they're at the fringe. So my kickoff question for this is, are we too focused on conformity and convergence, everyone trying to go get their certificates in, in a particular area or a particular mastery or a particular set of things, whether it be less or scaled framework of your choice. Is this okay? Is it okay to be this way? Is this this is this fine? Am I overreacting to it? And if not, uh, what are the things that we should be looking at for agile adoptions? Should we be looking at something new, something a little bit more kind of on the fringe uh, to to keep us uh, fresh and a lot more novel novelty in that. And to kick us off on this, uh, Shana, do, do you want to take a stab at this? So in terms of all of the, uh, I'll, I'll kind of piece this apart in a couple different areas. In terms of the certificate, uh, certificates and things like that, you know, I really like to think of it in terms of uh, continuous learning as a lot of different people and companies come out and create new ways of thinking about how to solve problems or how to approach software development. I think, uh, you know, certificates have sort of become a way for folks to kind of feel like, hey, this is my check mark. I have learned this. I've, I'm validated in, in understanding this. And I think that that's okay. When I'm hiring, I, th I think that a, a lot more what I care about isn't so much the certificates and isn't so much where if they have agile coaching on their resume. I look a lot more now in how this has evolved into things like facilitation and are people able to lead folks um, in terms of being able to solve their problem and open up the discussion. And I've seen Agile change a lot more from being more of a tactical thing to being more of a, uh, I want to use the word humanizing, um, having a lot more humanizing elements to getting people to work together, aligning, making sure that everybody understands a, the common problem that we're trying to solve. And so I, I, I guess my short answer is, in some ways, the evolution of Agile over time that's brought us to this place, I think in some ways it is okay that it's converged and you know we've realized what we absolutely need for all teams to thrive and companies to thrive and succeed. And then we kind of need to figure out the maturity of an organization, let's say, and being able to adapt to that. So I don't think that we've focused too much on community and convergence, I think that we've just evolved and figured out how to navigate the space a little bit differently. 
You stated that as a as a hiring manager of of people who do uh, agile coaching, do you ask any specific questions about what a person is doing outside of the box, beyond the the basic toolkit, or are you focus more on just the toolkit? I look a lot more outside of the box. I want to know very specifically, you know, how they're able to navigate teams away from things like, you know, if you have a if you have a toxic team, take me through uh, the toolkit and how you might be able to pull them out of, you know, out of that mindset. I look a lot more in terms of uh, mindset of the coaches that I'm hiring as well as tools, uh, it's almost like navigation tools or tools to help teams thrive rather than just deliver. Okay, thank you for that. Diana, are you there? Why, yes I am, Ray. Hi. (laughs) Hi. Are you ready for the hot weather? (laughs) Yeah, I think we pretty much are, yeah. Okay, good. Went out and bought a lot of cool drinks this morning, so. Cool, we're both in Portland, so. Yeah symbiotic with the heat. (laughs) So what do you think on this subject? Well, I loved that you brought in the graphs because I've been thinking a lot about uh, that market diffusion and, you know, all those kinds of things. And of course, there was a lot of conversation in the early years of Agile about the idea of cross, have we crossed the chasm yet? And, and those kinds of things. And that's another model that's, that's used to look at some of those same things. And, and certainly um, I've noticed, I mean, you know, when you get to be as old as I am, um, which I'm in my seventies now, um, I've, I've gotten to see a number of these, of these uh, pathways happen. I've seen a number of these shifts. I, I, you know, I was around so that I saw it in going from, uh, mainframes to desktop computers and you know and so so I've had the opportunity to sort of see this before and and uh, it's it's familiar to me um but with agile specifically um I started getting this kind of question you know is agile dead are we done with it does it have anything more to offer when I was um chair of the agile alliance board in like 2010, you know, and uh, in in that time, actually, I heard it as early as like 2005. But anyway, um, the and at that time, I said, you know, I think Agile's still in its adolescence. It's still trying to figure out what it wants to be, and um, and who it's going to serve, and and those kinds of things. And there are a lot of ideas about that at the time, but it wasn't necessarily uh completely clear and over time you know we've gotten to see lots of new practices come on board i mean you know bdd that wasn't around when the uh, the manifesto was signed there have been lots of new additions and i think people don't if you're not sort of paying attention to the evolution of what we call agile and the the new things that come on board, if you just pick one area and say, for instance, I'm just, I'm, Agile is just Scrum to me. And so I'm just going to pay attention to Scrum. Well, you might not have seen as much evolution in Scrum. Um, but if you look at the field as a whole, 
There, there have been some very interesting new developments. Mob and ensemble programming weren't around um, when, uh, you know, until fairly recent years, maybe the last five or six years, where that's become something that some people know about. And there have also been changes in ideas about uh, programming and developing and and thinking about, uh, you know, the whole shift to thinking more in terms of complex systems, uh, not just for our software systems, but also for our organizations and how that might fit with Conway's law. And so I think there's still a lot that is fresh and new and coming on board and broad range of things happening out there. And for any particular organization, it it, it would it's it will be helpful if you can think through what your organization really needs and then examine that broader um, pos those broader possibilities and put together for your teams the the behaviors that you're going to need to get what your what outcomes you want. So I think there's still growth uh, to happen, uh, but I don't know if it will. Um, I don't know if people will have the patience to to see what else can emerge. I haven't heard any new names. I mean, you know, like Total Quality Movement had a name and Business Process Engineering had a name and and Lean has a name and Agile has a name. And I haven't really heard new names ever emerging. I've I've seen uh, Uta Eckstein and John Buck's Bossa Nova, which is like putting things to, you know, a variety of things together, new ways of thinking together in a new way to, to make a kind of a cohesive whole. But I haven't seen that. Um, I'd love to see that catch on more. I haven't seen that yet. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I think it depends on whether you're the kind of person who looks for what are the settled ideas, or if you're the kind of person who looks for what's still out there, what's newly emerging, because there really is a lot that's still emerging in this space. And some of it comes from other other practices like organization design and and those kinds of things. But that's more what I'm seeing is are, you know, are people willing to look for the new or do they just want to find tried and true commodity work, as you put it? Uh, that's I mean, that's very insightful. Um, and so I think that I think we're kind of stuck in that space right now. It's like who's who's going to who's still looking for something new? Um, that's very, I, I think the couple of things that you mentioned there are just um, really spot on. Um, and I think the the question of of integrators, which if I look at a lot of the frameworks that are there tend to integrate all existing ideas into, um, as somebody once said, the junk drawer of, of, of just everything um, and, and making it simple to go buy, I guess, you know, buying it off the, sh buying off the shelf type of things. Um, versus that innovative thing that I can go and grab, uh, which most of the time people are pretty risk averse. I remember when we did our first agile adoption inside this Fortune 100 company I was in, I, it was it was not on the list of of valid methods that we could go use, and it was the first struggle was just getting it past the process police. So. Mm -hmm. 
And and I, I bet Agile has process police now. They're out mm. there. Yeah. Um, and some of us are, you know, fighting the good fight to kind of keep that from becoming the <laughs> the only way to think about it. But um, but yeah, you're right. A lot of people, that's what they look for. Uh, Skip um, wrote into the into the comment box. Said that you know there's a there's a lot more you know forums that seem to be around transformation rather than you know sort of the kaizen events that happen. And I, I think we don't talk enough about retrospectives and, and emergent things that come from that. But let me give Jorg a chance. Jorg, do you do you have a um, do you have a, a opinion on this one? Yeah. Um, I have, and maybe expanding on what has been discussed, I think the brand of Agile is no longer new. And with every established brand, people have a picture in their head if you're not, not directly engaged. And either they care or they don't, or they are part of it. Uh, that, that's the three options. And definitely, if you're part of it, you see a lot of things still going on. But to the outside, they are not easily visible. That's like with uh, establishing a brand at one point, you have to establish products. You're no longer talking about the brand, it develops with the products. And I think that's probably a bit the juncture where Agile is. Agile is known and people hate it or love it or haven't tried it or have tried it. Uh, and now what? So what's the next thing that makes, again, headlines? It will not be a small thing, uh, and that's what, what uh, I think Diana said with the naming of things. That's exactly what for the people looking from further away is not happening. Um, and that's maybe the feeling of stagnation. But I actually feel a lot of energy and I see still a lot of people totally newly introduced to the ideas and they come up with something new in their interpretation. But a lot of that is small scale, which actually is quite in line with Agile, keeping it on small teams and getting them to evolve. And probably we need some people to notice the bigger pattern, patterns in that uh, and brand it and make it into, again, something that is a novel name. But I think uh, there's still enough dynamic in that way and openness and attracting people and doing retrospectives that there's a lot to find. I, I want to claim right now the term neo-agile. Neo-agile. <laughs> you heard it here first. You heard it here. And for whatever reason, when you say neo, I just think of, um, you know, the, the red <laughs> pill or the blue pill. Um, I think that was intended. <laughs> Uh, Rex, what do you have on the subject? I've joined back in with this uh, series at just the right time. I've been here a couple of times, and frankly, I've been a little bit disappointed about the fact that there's a bit too much focus on software development team-oriented issues and concerns. And I think this particular topic we're talking about today taps into the frustration of folks like me who are in other areas, but we're trained as uh, agile practitioners. I actually have um, certification training and some experience in um, being a scrum master as well as a um, agile analyst with the IBA. And my primary role now is as a BA. And I, I'm currently working on a, a project team that's doing software 
implementation, implementation of an expansion of a uh, off-the-shelf enterprise level software package. And when I try to seek out training or um, additional learning opportunities, I keep coming across this wall of everything being oriented toward software development, not other types of projects. And going back to the branding discussion that was mentioned earlier, I feel like there's a couple of things going on here. There's, I think the image of Agile in general is that it's something related to software development and people aren't that should be interested aren't getting interested and conversely i'm not sure that agile as a movement has done a great job of promoting themselves as a methodology and philosophy that can be used in other areas other than as someone else said a buzzword that people are trying to use in business systems and they try it for a month and they try it incorrectly by looking up things on the internet without you know formal training from someone like an agile alliance uh, or oriented organization and they give up so i'd like to hear your viewpoint on how we promote this brand a little bit better to things other than software development i can see why that would be a challenge uh, as i've worked on different types of projects whether it be uh, integration or implementation projects, I think that we're still able to use a lot of the the frameworks, but I, I agree that a lot of the methods have been set up for custom software development. I think that it's been a lot of creativity and community conversations that's helped us figure out how to how to navigate the space in those different types of projects, you know, uh, I've, I've also worked on things in, in terms of like working with finance or HR and helping them build out things like intake queues and, um, you know, trying to help manage those kinds of things in an easier, more agile way. And yeah, I, I do tend to agree that uh, overall the agile movement has been hyper-focused on um, software development. I think that there's a lot that we can pull from, but it um, it definitely hasn't been branded as such um, in terms of in, in terms of that. And so uh, I can see why that would be a challenge. Um, my recommendation is just I, I think that there's been a lot of communities that have been established to help to help navigate, but um, there there hasn't been a lot of hyper focus in, in branding, if you will. So I don't know that I have a good answer for that right now, but I, I do understand it. What I what I found was is that as we were expanding, so our, our agile maturity went out of development. It actually started to infect the the business side of the operations first, and then finance, and then other organizations. And I really think it's on the the agile coaches to frame the work correctly, meaning that um, even just the manifesto itself, as you as you read through it, it's you know we found a better way to make software, and and you know these are the things that you could do with software, and software, software, software is all over that document. And we had a discussion, and I think at Agile 2016 that you know somebody was talking about should we do another manifesto. 
And my take was, is that you should take the existing manifesto and reinsert a different word. I mean, if you take the word software out of it and put solutions or products or, or whatever it might be, I find that the, the brain opens up a little bit um, and, and really it's on the coach to customize the, the, the training that they're giving to people so it is domain specific. Uh, when we were teaching HR how to go do their their policy systems using uh, Scrum, we didn't show them the software processes. We showed them ways that they could do it in their work context. Mm -hmm. And I think that requires a little bit more work uh, on the Agile coaches side to go do that. Right. Ag agreed. And I, I, th I think to that, right, it's just it's not sort of out of the box. Uh, however, I do think in terms of operations integration work, there has been, um, you know, a little bit more emphasis on things like Kanban and uh, more of operational flows um, that have been folded in over time. But um, but yeah, it definitely uh, there's a lot of room, I think, to grow uh, if we wanted to brand the space a little bit differently. But um, I agree that it's a lot of agile coaches to kind of figure out um, how to teach and navigate the space. Cool. Uh, Abe, what do you have on this? This is really an interesting topic. Um, what I have on it is because currently um, the team I'm working um, with, I um, adopted um, Scrum in the um, discovery phase of the project where we just, we were trying to, um, what would I say, investigate or investigate very various options for the business to, or our clients to, uh, to use to deliver a particular application. And one or two of the developers, you know, came up and told me that you can't use Chrome in um, in the discovery phase. That is like the conceptualized phase where you start um, trying to look for options, the preferred options to move to um, the implementation and um, design phase. And I said, we could use Chrome. Um, it took a while for me to coach and um, and train them to understand that Scrum can be used in such uh, environment. Um, initially, when we started, the team had 22% um, completed 22% of um, the committed task. Um, by the end of sprint six, seven. We were completing about 82-85% of the um, committed task. Um, and in, we used Chrome um, throughout the discovery phase. And now we are now in a phase that they call alpha where we experiment um, and um, create proof of concept of uh, what we just um, of the options that we've just um, chosen. So um, I think it, it should be put out there that Scrum can be used, whether in an operational setting, in finance setting, in HR setting, and, and not only software development, because most people believe, 
Scrum can only be implemented or used um, in software development. What is interesting about that is is that uh, Scrum, I believe it was uh, used uh, originally by its inventor, and I might have the story a little bit wrong. I apologize if I don't have all the details, but was was used to teach new recruits how to do iterative work. And it, w- it was not done with software. It was done with the things that they do in the military. So it's kind of interesting that it kind of got shoehorned into the software discussion, but yet its birthplace was definitely just about how do I manage a degree of work and set expectations and set levels and, and, and work in a way that keeps the customer connected with the things that we're delivering so that we don't get too far out of whack with delivering something that the customer doesn't want. So I appreciate your comment on that, Abe. Uh, Betsy, how about you? What do you have? I, I've got two points, actually. I'm just going to, again, point back to um, the origins of Scrum in terms of being um, not something that's around software development. Uh, whenever I, I do training for people, I often get them to read Scrum, book by Jess Sutherland, and he talks about so many different examples that aren't software-based that if um, anyone's ever getting told that it's about software development, you can kind of just throw the literal book at them. Um, so just that. Um, but coming back to my uh, the original topic about um, Agile becoming sort of um, homogenous and, and the conformity and whether or not that's a good or bad thing, I think it's quite um, an interesting one because if the conformity is that um, Agile coaches and Scrum Masters are all people who are out looking for new things and expanding their learning and constantly trying to find ways to improve, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think where the danger is, um, I guess we've touched on it, mildly is somebody does a two-day course gets a certificate and now they believe they are a scrum master and it's something i keep seeing um at the moment is people saying they're an experienced scrum master when they're not um i wonder if if anyone has any thoughts on what we can do as an industry to sort of continuously push back the message that it's more than just sitting through a two-day course and getting a shiny pretty piece of paper and it's all about the ethos and the the principles behind it i think there's a couple different ways to push back on it number one i believe that as hiring managers and and having been one for a number of decades uh, let, let let everyone be clear hiring managers look at experience levels that are based upon years of experience of doing something, not that you just took a two-day course. So I can tell you that most people come in and say that they have that certificate. And I think Shana probably can comment about this as well. It's it's sort of when someone comes in and says, I know how to bake a cake, then we sit down with them in behavioral interviewing and showing what they got. Most of us will throw them into a team environment and say, coach, Bake a cake for us. See how that looks. So let's see their methods. And it, it doesn't have to be perfect because, you know, ramping up on a new team and trying that stuff is 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 sometimes, you know, fraught with danger and, and intrigue. But, you know, let let people show you what they got. No, so I'm I totally agree. I'm 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 about to hire and I'm really excited to find someone who's not necessarily got the cert but has the skills and the beliefs, et cetera, behind it. I guess I'm thinking specifically of what happens when a large consultancy decides to put all of their project managers through 
skill agile training, for example, so that they can sell them as scrum masters to the wider world? I think the challenge comes down to how management, you know, and this is the difference between the top down to the bottom up type of organic agile that I've seen take place. The top down agile tends to be treating it as a destination, meaning that we're going to go through this, we have to get 1500 certs and then those certs are done and then therefore we are agile and they run it like a waterfall project in a lot of regards. I, I think the pushback needs to be that continuous learning means that we are going to evolve and, and learn the basics, learn the, the scaffolding of things. And then once we've learned the basics, then we can start to break the rules a little bit beyond it. It's sort of like Taekwondo. Taekwondo, you, you, you don't get to break the rules of, of the form and, the, and what you've learned about how to do the mastery of something. A first-degree black belt can't break the rules. A second-degree black belt can't break the rules. But a third-degree can. And then they can start to customize because they now have the con more control over things. So I just think it's it's a philosophy with, with the people who are, are driving the transformations need to understand that it's a multi-year journey. And may, that journey could go on for, you know, throughout continuous, you know, learning of an organization. Um, it's not just going to be an overnight thing. Um, uh, Brenda, you put your hand up. What do you have on this? You know, a lot of times what happens is companies will try and train up current staff to fit the agile mode versus hiring in experienced agile professionals from outside the company. Um, at least in my current company, I was hired in as a scrum master and the people who are hired in are a lot more in tune and a lot more focused and a lot more agile driven than somebody who was already at the company that was trained up to be a scrum master. Agree with that. I, I've seen that multiple times. Uh, and I can tell you that, you know, and I used to be with Intel Corporation and we were a big, if not invented here culture, we ignored it. And yep. that was just the way that we behaved. And so I remember that we, we came up with the idea of iterative development and we added a, a daily standup and we did all these things. And, you know, we evolved this to the point where we didn't realize that we just reinvented Scrum again. And we did it horribly, you know, in the very beginning. Um, we, we could have done much better if we would have just first learned the basics. So, yeah, I, I fully agree with that. How about Scott? What do you have? Hey, good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are. Yeah. Um, so I have been for a while coaching a manufacturing company. Um, even though all of my roots come from software, that's where I learned it. That's where I was when I got uh, the original certifications, all those all those sort of things. And, and I can say that uh, to the general topic, that uh, certifications do carry their value. And even at the point where I went and took them myself, I was probably already capable of, I was capable of teaching at that point. And so what the value I got out of it was making all the connections within the industry and opening things up to other experienced people for good conversations and all that sort of stuff. But I think the key to success for anyone that's interested in really getting agile and, and getting agile into your um, into your mindset, into your culture of your company is as get having a, a good understanding of the basic foundations. And I, I will say honestly that I was really disappointed 
uh, maybe that's an exaggeration. I was mildly disappointed in the celebration that happened this last fall where uh, it, it seemed like a really good opportunity to actually uh, change or grow the the words that uh, exist within the manifesto, the values and the principles. Because principle number 12 is, you know, uh, practice Kaizen, practice continuous improvement. And so why wouldn't you want to open up the foundation um, of of everything that we're talking about to a wider audience by removing the word software, just like you mentioned earlier from all the stuff. So when I'm teaching <clears throat> to manufacturing engineers and things like that, uh, you know, I've I've got my edited version, uh, and I want, but I want everyone to start with the the foundation, understand what the values are, and understand what the principles are before you start looking at a specific framework to solve the problems that you're facing. And so teaching that over and over and over again, and having removed software and replaced it with uh, products or something else, if I'm you know doing this for the uh, marketing group or or something else, then I might alter it a little bit more. But the encouragement that I give everyone is is to become less. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's it's a little bit. Uh, considered to be like the holy grail, right? The really super smart people got together uh, and and wrote this thing and it was the right thing at the right time to solve, to help solve and change the culture for the software industry, which was struggling, you know, mightily. But, you know, I, I've also had the opportunity to get some training directly from Sutherland and he still talks about Boyd and the OODA loop, right? Which is where right. he got some of his original ideas from because he was a fighter pilot and fighter pilots learn the OODA loop. It's a, it's an iterative loop that they have to go through very quickly to be successful in their profession. So, it, it, you know, it all kind of ties back in, in perfect sense. Um, I think I've exhausted myself. <laughs> I've heard manifesto authors say this, you all have permission to go and make the version that's relevant to your company and you know rewrite it there's a good there's a good exercise to go do for you matter of fact one of the first things i do as an agile coach is let's rewrite the manifesto to how it applies to this organization and what things are hard or easy for us to do and use that mindset um, to kind of guide us a bit so with 10 minutes left, I am going to go pivot to another question uh, really quick. So I'm going to go ahead and put all hands down. Uh, hopefully we won't um, exhaust this particular question or we won't have a lot more to talk about than what we have in 10 minutes. Uh, but the question is, is how do you coach uh, development leads and development managers about their responsibility in an agile environment? Um, Diana, how do you do that? Well, it, it's interesting. Um, I just, um, I've been contributing a bit to uh, James Shore's writing the second edition of his Art of Agile Development book. And um, he asked me to to write a section on team dynamics. And so I've been working on that. And uh, he, Jim is using an amazing thing where he writes a section or he has a section written and then he puts it out for public review and 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 comment and feedback and so on. And um, I was surprised at, that I got several comments when the team dynamics part went out about, oh, but you must only be talking about coaches. You can't be actually talking about team members taking any of these steps or, or making any of these kinds of improvements. We don't know how to do any of this stuff. And, and um, 
And I was surprised because from my point of view, whenever I'm a team member on a team, I feel like I have full permission to figure out how we're going to improve what, what how we're working. But, you know, that's me and I have a different background than a lot of people. But um, but I think there is there really is a need to communicate to not only dev leads and dev managers about what their responsibilities are, but also in, you know, what are the skill, what learning do you need to go through, what practice, what deliberate practice do you need to have around being a mentor? And what are all the different kinds of skills that might need to be mentored in your teams and the teams that you're a part of? And how do you sit with people and help bring them up to speed? And what is the role of pairing in that? And what is the role of mob programming in that? And um, and I think there's a – I'm continually kind of surprised that folks who are in those leadership roles – don't see that already as part of that role. And I think we need to do a better job of communicating this is part of your job description, that that you need to understand the work system and how how the process various processes fit into the larger system of work and what impact that has on folks. And how do you enable team teams and team members? to do the things that are needed in order to get the product out the door and so on and so forth. So, and whatever the product or service is, you know, harking back to that previous conversation, it doesn't have to be a software product, but, but whatever, um, whatever kind of leadership role you have, how are you looking for ways to help your team be more effective, not just manage their performance assessment? Interesting. I, I, I agree with that. Jörg, what do you have? One, one thought on this. A lot of those leads, they come from technical experience. So they place a lot of safety, certainty, and maybe even value on solving technical problems. And one way I try to approach this is making them understand where the real value is. Solving one technical problem is problem solved one time. Enabling a team to do it is probably a factor of 10, 100, or, or at least five. Uh, so the higher you can focus your impact, the more it multiplies, the more you matter, the more what you do uh, really counts. So take the highest possible responsibility uh, and work on that one while enabling the team underneath you to take the rest of the responsibility. If they can't, it's your responsibility to enable them, not to do the work. And really coming from you have a bigger impact if you enable people with this when you do things. Uh, this is a, a a way of thought that has helped me a lot. I think this the the point of just role modeling and being agile yourself. You know, holding yourself up to the same standards as you expect everyone else. Um, unfortunately, we are at the top of the hour, and with that, another month goes by, and you know, we get to you know, go through our summer vacations here, at least on the upper half of the world. and the lower half of the world, I think you guys get to go through a, a nice winter. Anyway, a couple things to, to note. I want to do remind again, Agile 2021, go go up there and look at it. Uh, look at the, uh, the schedules online, uh, July 19th through the 22nd. It, it'll be online. Great opportunity to go meet and network a bunch of Agilists across the planet. Uh, strongly recommend you um, go take a look. 
The other thing is, is that the next live event for this is going to be July 30th. And we'll talk about what came out of Agile 2021. We'll talk about some cool things that are there. And with that, I hope that you all have a great month. This podcast is provided by Agile Alliance for educational and informative purposes only. To find out more information about the member-supported Agile Alliance, please go to agilealliance.org to find out about more upcoming events as well as different programs that are available to help you with your Agile journey.